0: We're church, we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and I'm going to just read the, a few verses as we come to the end of this book. Ecclesiastes 12, uh, again, as I've this book, I believe verses, or chapters 11 and 12, Solomon is coming home. Solomon walked away from the Lord as a relatively middle-aged young man. He's lived a life of living only under the sun, and now he's, he's, he's coming home. So in chapter 12, he says this. He starts off with a statement that's very dear to my heart because these are the words that are on the chapel at the citadel. Remember, now your creator in the days of your youth. Then he goes on and says, Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain... In the day when the keepers of the house will tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, then on down he says, in verse fourteen, for God will bring every deed into judgment, with every secret thing, whether evil or whether good. So, I'm go through this issue of Solomon coming home. What's involved in that? Why did he come home? I think we have some hints in this passage of, of, of why Solomon came home. See, Solomon has lived with, with this, this uh, an under the sun mentality. And, and as we think about living only under the sun, please hear me that we hear this frequently, the purpose statement of our church is equipping people to pursue Jesus passionately so they can impact their world, their culture. So whether you're an artist or a physician or a mechanic or a housewife or an educator, so you're equipped to pursue Jesus passionately to impact the culture. So, so right now, as we, read, as we read Ecclesiastes 12, which is a kind of arcane book in the Old Testament, you're going, yeah, you need to say, how does this... Impact me. There's a little diagram I've been showing our men on Friday morning, and it, it, the diagram is this. It shows a, a person walking in the darkness, and then he comes to the cross and understands that Jesus died on the cross for his sin, and that if he repents and believes the good news, you become a believer. And then, and then after you encounter the cross, you continue to walk further into the light. God is continually changing us by the Holy Spirit. There is nothing much more discouraging for me. To experience it is it is to say, you know, I've, I've been a believer since I was me since I was nineteen, and and but I'm, I'm kind of walking in place. God doesn't want you to walk in place. He wants you to walk further into the light as you live in repentance and faith, under the proclamation of the word of God, prayerful dependence upon the Holy Spirit by men and women who, who persevere and press on. So so as as we look at this, the question is, how is God pushing me, you? To go further into the light. And there's some incredible lessons in this text. Uh, And the reason is that Solomon came home. And there's lessons here to to make us stay home with the living God in his triune glory and grow in our faith. So Solomon's come to this point in his life where he lives only under the sun. And, And this little diagram. So under the sun living Solomon, it says in 1 Kings that The Lord God said, you should not marry people outside of the covenant community of Israel, non-believers, but Solomon did. Solomon married many foreign women. Many is an understatement, 700. And and the Bible says that these women turned his heart away from the living God to do evil. Twice it says, he did evil in the sight of God. Here's what happened. These, these, These women came in with their foreign gods. And Solomon set up temples for their foreign gods and altars for their foreign gods. And so he started worshiping these foreign gods. And one of the gods that he worshiped was a God that involved child sacrifice. It was just bizarre stuff. And so what happens is if, if you're worshiping many foreign gods, then really God cannot be defined. And if God cannot be defined, then there's no binding authority in your life. I mean, you just, every man does his own thing. And so Solomon, first of all, he said, the 10 commandments, 10 rules for life. Have no other gods before you, before my face. You, you, you don't, there's only one God. Solomon blew by that one. Second commandment: don't make any idols. Boom, he blew by that one. Thirdly, don't take the name of your Lord God in vain. He sped by that at 85 miles an hour. Because, because you can't define God. Therefore, the concept of the living God who is eternal and unchanging doesn't have binding authority in your life. The reality of God rests lightly upon you. We love to watch, especially BBC shows. We'll get them from the library and we'll watch them. And I'll, and I'll watch a, a series for a few weeks, because you can watch it at your leisure. And sometimes I'll just turn to Sarah, my, my wife, and say, you know, these people have been through incredibly hard times, but not once has any character said, you know, maybe we should pray about this. Or, or There is no concept of a God who is. That is just nothingness. And the character of God rests lightly upon you when he cannot be defined. So under the sun living involved, God can't be defined. The second thing is you, you give yourself to what I call Epicureanism, which is the avoidance of pain and the heightened of pleasure. Listen, in a socially acceptable fashion. Solomon, if you read the book of Solomon, read his life, he did not become like Howard Stern or Hugh Hefner. He became more like the celebrated, gifted actors and actresses in Hollywood who have a different partner every six to 10 to 12 to 14 months. And they live and they do their own thing and they give money to UNICEF and to World Hunger, but there's no concept of God. I call the shots, I do the thing, this is the way I live. So, so, so that's the way Solomon. Lived and, and then he pursues various issues to try to give him meaning. He pursues wisdom, chapter one. He pursues pleasure, chapter two. He pursues the dignity of labor as an end in itself. Listen, as an end in itself. No fulfillment. He pursues money as an end in itself. Nothing. And so when you, when you pursue wisdom, I think about this. When you, if, you, if, if you are an academician, and you're pursuing wisdom, and you're in the sciences, somewhere along the line, and when you're in the sciences, you have to look at the created order and say, the created order is magnificent. It is unbelievable. I mean, just a few degrees this way, we burn up a few degrees this way, we freeze to death. The change of seasons, the incredible animal kingdom, and the way, and then this, this thought hits you, surely there's got to be something beyond just what I can see. How did all this come? And, and really, if you are under the sun only, you cannot answer those questions, so you don't ask those questions. You, you can't bear to ask those questions. If you're in medicine, and, and you're, you're dealing with these things, and, and you look at the beauty of the human body and the contours of the ear, or how the eye works, it's amazing. I, 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 I know very little about this. How the eye works, or how, how sound hits the ear, and you're able to hear, or, or how you can, 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 can tactilely touch things, and you're going... This is unbelievable. Surely there's something beyond the impersonal plus time plus chance. You can't answer that question if you live only under the sun. You just can't. Or, or, or if you're into liberal arts, which I was, and, and you know nothing about science, and you struggle with basic math, you know, you, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna be forced to read if you have a good teacher. You're gonna be forced to read Shakespeare, or Dante, or Milton or the poetry of John Donne, or Kafka, or Sartre, or Camus, or Dostoevsky. And, and all of these people deal with ultimate questions like, what is man? What's the purpose of man? Where is man going when he dies? And, and if you have nothing but under the sun, you know what? You cannot answer them. If you were Solomon, lived probably for decades, you, you can't answer them. And so he's, he's this under the sun only living he, and and, and he's, he, he grows very weary. Let me tell you why. Because there is no big story that holds life together. We call it a meta-narrative. This week, the Wall Street Journal had a cover story. It's entitled, Suicide and Overdoses Diminish Life Expectancy in America. First paragraph, life expectancy for Americans fell again last year. Despite growing recognition of the problem driving the decline and federal and local funds invested in stemming them. Let me show you this this diagram. This is a diagram of, of suicides on the left and drug overdose deaths on the right. And then suicide deaths are going up Drug deaths are hockey stick. Let me read a statement from a magazine about this report. The last time we faced such profound losses, the United States was both fighting World War I and confronting confronting a flu pandemic that killed 675,000 Americans in 1918. Think about that, 675,000 Americans. What is claiming American lives now? Well, it's not a pandemic. Yes, the flu is still here and it kills some Americans, but cancer deaths continue to decline and deaths from heart disease have leveled off once again. However, tens of thousands of Americans died of despair. Drug overdose deaths surged to 70,237 this year, up more than almost 10,000 from last year, and suicide deaths continue their terrible, steady rise since 1999. To put these drug overdose deaths in perspective, the annual total far outstrips the total American fatalities in the Vietnam War. The totals this year are greater by far than American peaks in car crashes, gun deaths, and HIV deaths. And let's keep in mind that these deaths of despair aren't coming during a time of war or recession. In fact, from 2015 to 2017, America enjoyed a period of strong economic growth, declining unemployment, and even a long awaited rise in wages. While small numbers of valiant American troops are engaged in combat overseas, the average American experiences our present age as a time of peace and prosperity, despair. Here's my thesis. If you have, if you, unless you have a meta-narrative, a big story that holds things together, I think you go into despair. You, we're going to talk about this. This is a sobering passage. You go into despair, listen, because your body is going to break down. You go into despair because your dreams are not realized, by and large. You go into You've got to have a major story that holds it all together. And listen for us who are here on this Lord's Day, December the 2nd, 2018, the big story is the living God in the fullness of time became a man and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for our sins and rose victorious over death and he's coming again and he loves us. And there's a future and there's a hope. So let me just read a few verses about a meta narrative. First Corinthians 15 says this, verse three, the apostle Paul, for I delivered to you as of first importance First importance, what I also received from Jesus, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, the Old Testament prophecies, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. And then he appeared to 500 men at one time. Most of whom are still alive, though some, some have died. He says, Here is the grand meta narrative Jesus Christ, eternal God, in the flesh, living, died on the cross, resurrected, ascended, coming again. See, that, that saves you from the horror of despair. If you have no big story that gives cohesion, then you fall back into nothingness. Here's something from a guy named Calvin and Hobbes. I love Calvin Hobbes. It says, history is the fiction we invent to persuade ourselves that events are knowable and that life has order and direction. In other words, we have to invent a fiction to give our life meaning. Unless you have, church, a meta-narrative, you slide into despair. The meta-narrative that is true which is Christ. There's a man named Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche died in 1899 in a, in a really a, an asylum. Uh, he was the father of nihilism. Uh, his father and grandfather were both Lutheran pastors. And, and, and Nietzsche had this statement that has become kind of universally thought about and parroted, and it goes like this. He who has a why to live can bear most anyhow. This is Nietzsche, Father of nihilism, which I I can't believe he said that, but if if you have a reason to live, you can bear almost anything. And that little phrase was picked up by a man named Viktor Frankl, who wrote one of the most magnificent books of the 20th century, Man's Search for Meaning. Viktor Frankl was in Auschwitz. He survived Auschwitz, became a well-known professor in America. And Viktor Frankl said, I saw many, many men and women in concentration camps. And, and if you had a reason to live, oftentimes you fought against death. And, and many of them survived. But if you had nothing to live for, death came quickly. Therefore, he says, he who has a why to live can bear almost any how. And again, Solomon has gone down the wealth path, the pleasure path, the labor path, the acquisition of wealth path. There's a man named Jack Benny. Some of us who are old remember Jack Benny. He died, uh, I think, in 1974. Jack Benny was the son of immigrants from uh, Russia and Lithuania, Jewish people. He was incredibly gifted and, and a really a wonderful man. But, but he, he, he had uh, several things that he uh, would do in his comic routines. One of them is he always claimed to be 39 he died at age 80. So from the age 39 on, he just said, I am 39, which I think is pretty cool, good for him. The other thing, he, he always acted like he was a terrible player of the violin, when in reality, Jack Beanie was a pretty good violinist. In fact, his mother and daddy made him take the violin. Just, this is a trivia fact, just, just as fun. He, he took the violin from a man named in, in uh, Cleveland, yeah, named Otto Graham, okay? Otto Graham Jr., became the most celebrated NFL quarterback of the 1950s, all pro Cleveland Browns. Just, if you're ever on Jeopardy, Otto Graham, Otto Graham Jr. So anyway, he'd act like he played the violin in And, he, and he, one of his routines was he, he was known to be incredibly tight, um, parsimonious with his money. So in his routine, he was walking through a park and he's dressed very well he's in New York. And a mugger comes around with a mask and a drawn gun and he says, your money or your life. And Jack Benny always did this. And the mugger says, did not you hear me? Your money or your life? And Jack Benny says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. You know, and what he's saying is that, you know, maybe that's all there is. Maybe it's just, just about wealth. Maybe I can't, I can't part with it. So I'm gonna give you four reasons in this text that Solomon came home. Number one, Solomon grappled with and came to understand the brevity of life. Verse one, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come, the days of old age we think, the evil days come and the years draw near of which you say, I have no pleasure in them. Life just gets hard, life just gets hard. So, so the brevity of life with diminishing returns, with the death of dreams. See. You live with the death of dreams. If you're a thinking person, life is just hard at times. There's a good friend I have. Uh, he's a, he was an outstanding athlete in high school and college, and he had a son who was a wonderful boy. And now he's a man, a wonderful young man. But when he was in sophomore, junior in high school, his dad said to him, "His son loved basketball. And he was an okay basketball player, but he wasn't going to go beyond high school. You can see that, you know. Just if there's a Division Five, maybe, but not not much." And so he said to his son when he was a sophomore, junior in high school, son, when are talking about? After graduation, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go to school, whatever you want to do? So what do you want to do? He says, dad, I've decided I want to play in the National Basketball Association. And his dad went, oh boy. You know, he says, his dad's that tall, his mom's that tall. His son didn't have great jumping ability, wasn't that fast. And he thought, oh, boy, this isn't going to happen. And then he said this, son, just in case you don't make it, let's come up with a plan B. You know? And th- that's life. Boom, boom, boom. And so, so Solomon is dealing with the diminishing returns of life. And, and the, the brevity of life, James says, life is a vapor, There's a musical called Fiddler on the Roof. It's a wonderful musical. It's about a Jewish family with daughters and the daughters are getting married. And in in the song, in the movie, there's a man and his, his wife and they're in this musical. And the man says, no, I th- I th- man, I, th- I think about this frequently. I sing this song a good bit. Is this the little girl I carried? Is this the little boy at play? And his wife says, I don't remember growing older. When did they? And he says, when did she get to be a beauty and when did he grow to be so tall? Wasn't it yesterday when they were small? Then they say, sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset, swiftly fly the years. Okay, you get older and the years just go boom. And you turn around, and one day this, this little kid that was a seventh grader is now a senior in college. Boom! And as you get older, you continue to deal with the brevity of life. And, and I, we need to deal with that. Life is short. We were I was, I was doing, go with, I go over my sermon with a bunch of young guys every week. And we were studying Ecclesiastes, and, and there's a guy named Leland Brown, who's on staff, a very great guy. And even said, do you think Solomon would have ever written Ecclesiastes if that had Hulu and Netflix? And I thought, that's a great question. So instead of dealing with these issues, we just watched championship football games all day Saturday. And wasn't it sweet? Okay? Or, or we just sit on the, the couch and we just watch show after show after show. And we never stop and say, you know, life is short sunrise, sunset, swiftly fly the years. But if, I think if, if you think that way, think that way with Solomon, you come home. You come home. The, the second thing is, is that Solomon says in a very graphic way, a very graphic way, that our physical abilities will fail. Our physical abilities will fail. And, and he starts off, in verse 2 he says before the sun and, and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain your, your vision goes in the day when the keepers of the house tremble your hands, and, and the strong men of the house are bent your legs just aren't as strong as they used to be and the grinders cease because they are few your teeth I mean, think about it. Solomon didn't have dentistry; they didn't do root canals. I mean, if you're maybe if you're sixty years old and you have a set of teeth, then Solomon's day you are a modern miracle. So once you get a certain age, what did you have for supper and lunch and even breakfast? Soup, soup. I have some more soup. Thank you. More? Yeah, I have some more soup. I mean, it's just the way it is. This stuff cannot really impact us because we can sometimes stave off old age because of knee replacement surgery or, or heart bypass surgery or laser surgery. And all those things are wonderful. Thank, thanks be to God for those surgeries and especially the anesthesiologists that come in before they do the surgery. But, but, but listen, our bodies are going to wear out. I did have a dentist who saw me between the services said, if you could just throw in my name about the grinders, just say, if you see this Dr. will this dentist. I I said, I can't do that. So anyway, I heard him. Uh, He says, the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. When one rises at the sound of the bird, you get old. Everything wakes you up because you got to get up to use the bathroom every two hours. Young people, you're laughing, but your day will come. They are afraid also of what is high, and the terrors are in the way, and the almond tree blossoms. Gray hair. The grasshopper drags itself along. It's energy exhausting to live, like a grasshopper dragging itself along. This is before a five-hour energy drinks that many of us need four times a day. And Red Bull. Diet Mountain Dew three times over, whatever. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, loss of mental thinking. He said, That's just." He said, "You know, one thing that draws me home is that my energy is is gone. My life is wasting away." Story is told about a 93-year-old man and an 88-year-old woman who went to the local pharmacy. And the man said, to the pharmacist, can I ask a question? He said, sure, yes, sir. He said, do you sell Geritol? He said, yeah. Do you sell things to make you help to uh, bear with back pain? Yeah. Do you have inserts in your shoes to help you with flat feet? Yeah. Do you have walkers and canes and wheelchairs? Yes, sir. you have reading glasses, really thick reading glasses? Yes. He said, you ask asking why? I said, well, I met this young woman at the retirement center. Our spouses are both dead. We decided to get married, and we're trying to decide where to register. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, no, there's a lot of truth in that. Um, and listen, we can stave it off. We, we can stave it off for a while. You think about Solomon. Oh, I'm just saying, this is what you got. Solomon was fantastically wealthy. If Sol- we live in a day of abundance, if Solomon could be taken into Costco or Walmart, Super Walmart, you go, are you kidding me? Look at this abundance. You're, are you kidding? this is for the common person. Yes, you're kidding me. I read a book years ago called MiG Pilot. The MiG is a guy who defected from the Soviet Union, landed his plane in Japan. This is in the late 1970s. And we seized the airplane, took it apart. And really, one of the offshoots of it is that our, our personnel could not believe that this airplane was their top of the line aircraft. It was, it was so far behind us. And you saw the Soviet Union starting to crumble, but he was told. He said the Soviet pilots were told, if you're ever captured, or if you ever go to the U.S., they have these centers of indoctrination where they will take you, and all all the shells are full of food and clothes, and and, and it's, it's all a lie because America has planted these places, in in, in just a few places all over the country to show uh, show people that they're wonderful when they're really not. In other words, it's all smoke and mirrors, and and so he they take him from Japan to the U.S., and his handler takes him into uh, a, just a, a, a strip mall. If you've ever been to the Soviet Union in those days, I had the chance to be there in 1978, you walk into a, a store and there are just a few items in every store. The glories of socialism. And so they took him to the shopping center and he thought, aha, uh-huh. all, the, all the, the shelves were stocked, yeah. And they told us, I said, I know what you're doing. You're indoctrinating me. He says, What do you mean? He says, We've been told you have these few places all over America and you've taken me. He says, No, there are 10 places like this within 12 miles of here. And he saw the economic viability of America. We can stave it off. But let me tell you something life is brief. So I've got to do this last, last hour. And it was so good. So you're getting it. Last January, we had the chance to teach at a seminary and, and we took a side trip to to Portugal. And, you know, never been there before. So we go to this town named Evora. And if you can see this, I really want you to be able to see this. If you can just kind of see it. This is a chapel in Evora called the Chapel of Bones. And what happened in the... 1700s, Evora became a commercial center and there were 50 graveyards all over the city. And so the town fathers wanted to reclaim these graveyards to grow in their economic outreach. And so they decided to dig up all these graveyards and to relocate the bodies. And there were about 5,000 bodies they had to dig up. And so they're going, what do we do with it? What do we do with it? And, And some monk who probably been drinking Red Bull Cola, said, I know what let's do. Let's make a chapel of the bones. And so you go in this chapel and there's, there's walls of skulls and bones. And you're standing there and you're going, this is bizarre. And there's a big sign on the front that says, our bones are here, we await yours. Yeah. Happy New Year, that type of thing. But you know what? I need to hear that. Alexander the Great's daddy, Philip of Macedon, King Philip woke, woke him up every morning with this statement: "Good morning, King Philip. One day, you will die." Solomon came home, and we we stay at home because we deal with the brevity of life. And as you deal with the brevity of life, let me say this as we get older. Death is hard. Many of you have sat beside loved ones who died, and it's hard. But but let me me say this. Don't fear death. Believer in Jesus. Don't fear death. Death. Hebrews 2 says that, 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 that um, since in the children share in flesh and blood, he also partook of the same death or death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That's the devil. D- don't fear death. B- because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Philippians. Philippians says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I, I mean I, I want to live to be older. Well, yeah, older. I don't want to fear death. Now, if you're a Buddhist or a Hindu and you believe in re- reincarnation and you're going to die and just come back again in another life form and try to get it right this time and the next time and the next time and the next time and the next time. Man, life, that's a bummer. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. If you're, if you're a Muslim... Or other people that believe that works get you to heaven. You, there, there's a scale in the sky and you're really hoping, hoping, hoping that your good deeds may outweigh your bad deeds. And maybe, 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 maybe you go to heaven. But you're, there's, no, there's no assurance. If you're a believer, you shake your fist in the face of death. If I was with a group of men, I'd say, use another expression. You mock death. You say with Paul, "Death was your victory grave. Where is your sting?" So, so the brevity of life, but, but the incredible hope that exists beyond that. Number three, very quickly, the certainty of judgment. You say, "Well, that, that's how does that keep you home?" Verse, chapter twelve, verse fourteen. God will bring every deed into judgment, whether every secret thing, whether good or bad. And you, you step back and say, well, "How does that keep?" Listen, what that's saying is, you count. You count. You're so important that your life counts before God. You're so important that you're gonna give an account for the way you've spoken and spent your money and loved your neighbor. You count. I I just can't get over that. That I count. You're not a number at a Baskin Robbins Celestial Ice Cream Shop or Ben & Jerry's or whatever. You count. You have an eternal impact. I was reading a few weeks ago about John Lennon. John Lennon died at the age of 40, one of the original Beatles, gunned down in the streets of New York by a man who was mentally ill, 40. John John Lennon, though, if you read his life, um, what was gifted, very involved in the drug culture, very involved in the recreational use of LSD and things like that, which was very popular in those days when he was growing up, and um, uh, his, his whole worldview was under the sun only. In 1965, when the Beatles were just hitting their stride, Paul McCartney says that John was out all night partying, came home, and he was in some type of stupor, and in his stupor, he sat down and wrote one of the most well-known Beatles songs entitled, Nowhere Man. He's a real nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to, see? Isn't he a bit like you and me? He says, you don't know where you're going. You're a nowhere man, making nowhere plans for nobody. And that, that, that worldview gives you no place, church, to stand. It says that life is a mistake and you are a mistake and makes no big deal. You make plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view, care less. Doesn't know what's coming through. Knows not where he's going to. You're not a nowhere man. You're not, you count. Young person, you count. Then forth very quickly, opportunity knocks. I get that from verse one of chapter 12, and then chapter nine to verse 11, that talks, chapter nine verse 11 says, uh, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer thee in the days of your youth, and walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. And then verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1, remember your Creator in the days of your youth. And I think what he's saying is he's saying to young, and I say to young people, I mean, high school, college, young adults, young married, people under the age of 40, if you get it together, you have a place to stand. It's in the gospel of dignity and grace. And it gives you a grand theme to hold your life together. And it gives you an authoritative source and a path to run in. And I want that for you. I want you to have a future and a hope. And, and it happens. Opportunity is knocking right now. In your life, right now, opportunity is knocking. Go the way of the Lord. Build your life on the reality of Jesus. Stand under the authority of Scripture. Opportunity is knocking. You know, Solomon came home because he said, Opportunity knocked, and I closed the door. I didn't answer. Opportunity knocked, and I have walked away for decade, 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 and now I can't live with my worldview, so I'm coming home. Don't do that. So let, let me just give you a, this is going to take three minutes, application statement. Uh, you know, think about, you know, so we're going to go, go, in the, go in the Christmas season, so just let me mention a few things here. I think about opportunity knocks, being responsible, just application. Um, n- number one, every worshiper here, and we're down today because of rain, but I'll say it again next week, and the next week. Every worshiper here who names the name of Christ participates in the world offering called Lottie Moon. Every worshiper. If you are a high school student, get a job. Babysit. Sell lemonade. Uh, If you're a college student, go without Starbucks for a week, two weeks. Every person participates so that others can hear about Jesus and be saved. So the 800 people groups that we'll mention, with over 500 unengaged, can hear hear the gospel of Jesus. Because there's only one way to be saved, and that's through the work of Christ. So everyone participates. And I, I believe that, that, that for us, that if you have adults living in your home, you're an adult, give at least 200 bucks per adult at least. And continue your giving to our general budget. The giving has been very good. Thank you for your faithfulness. But this is over and above your tithe. Okay? Every person participates. And another way to, to, to just make application, number two is intentionally reach out to an unchurched friend by means of invitation to a Christmas event. It could be our Christmas music that's going to be here on the 14th and 15th, and you, you, you invite a friend, and you sit here and hear beautiful music and go out and you get a cup of coffee, and you just talk. And, and, and sometime in, in that you as, you, as you have befriended them, you befriend them, you mention the name of Christ. So, you know, what, what do you think? We just heard about all this music. What, what do you think a spiritual person is? Who, who do you think who do you think? Who do you think Jesus was? You ever thought about that? I mean, it's just interesting. Low, low bar. Uh, thirdly, we we live in known as Christmas approaches. We live in known repentance. Listen, there's not a person here, including me, who does not have something over which they should have repented this week. Every one of us are broken. Everyone here. See, you, you live in known repentance in light of who Christ is. That's just, it's just who we are. And, and then you strategize with your community group or your men's group. Uh, how, how do we get outside of our comfort zone to honor Christ this Christmas? So what's, what's interesting is, I was, I was thinking about this. I've been reading through Luke, and you know the story. So in Luke, I think it's chapter 9. Yeah, in Luke 9... Jesus, uh, there's two guys named James and John who are on the inner circle of Jesus' friends. Jesus really spent a lot of time with Peter and James and John. And so they encounter some Samaritans. And and the Samaritans were uh, part Jew, part outsider. And they had left the pure worship of Jehovah and they had had this syncretistic faith that caused true Jews to have incredible distress of heart. And so Samaritans were outcasts. They were untouchables type stuff. And, and so they encountered some Samaritans. And James and John, who've been walking with the, 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 the God of love and mercy who loved all types of people, said, they said to Jesus, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn up these people? And always, Jesus didn't answer them. I've always wondered, what did Jesus really think? I mean, these guys, these guys are so really. Not very with it sometimes, these disciples, which gives me such great hope, you know. And Jesus just didn't even answer them. And then he goes on. And the next chapter, uh, there's a a very well-schooled, bright attorney. You know this story better than I do. And the attorney goes, "Um, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus says, well, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and your strength. And love your neighbor as you love yourself. This is, he's an attorney he's smart and he's been tra- trained to think inductively and to look for escape clauses and contracts with footnotes that aren't filled in and so the attorney says who's my neighbor and Jesus thinks glad you ask so there's, a, there's a guy he was beat up and left for dead and um, he's laying inside the, the road couldn't move needed 911 to be called, and a Levite and a priest came by. And the Levites and the priests represented the Jewish religious establishment, and they walked by on the other side. But right behind them came a Samaritan, a half-breed, an outcast. And the Samaritan tenderly put him up, put him on his animal, took him to a hospice, hospital inn, bandaged his wounds, Paid for his stay and told the owner of the inn, if there's any extra money that needs to be paid, I'll be back in a couple of weeks. I will take care of it. That's your neighbor. But then Jesus says this. He says, You go and do likewise. I went, You, you go, you just you don't go and do like, love people outside of your circle. Be tender with people who are on the outside. So I read that. And it's, it's easy, church, to, to read these things and let them just you choo, 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 choo. You know, you know the story. But, the, but the, listen, go and do likewise. Okay? Go and do likewise. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the, the day. Thank you for this enigmatic, obscure book called Ecclesiastes that just has hands and feet. And thank you for an honest old king who is probably without a full set of teeth, who is on the last legs of his life, whose hands tremble, who probably has trouble hearing, and he's lamenting the fact that he walked away from the fountain of life as a young man. And I I pray that we would run to the fountain of life whose name is Christ, and you'd use us. Lord, we want to be the people you've called us to be. So teach us, in Jesus' name. Amen.